Amen. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Would you stand as I read those for us this morning? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Could you pray with me, palms open? Yeah, that is a woohoo one, isn't it? Father God, we humbly and joyfully and expectantly, God, come into your presence. No one like you. Uh, no one compares to you. You are God alone. And Father, we're overwhelmed by you, by your grace, by your mercy, by your love for us, as messed up as we are. And Father, I pray that you be with us right now. I pray that our hearts will be open to your word, God, and I ask God that you help me to speak your words the way you want me to speak them, and that we all hear your voice today. I pray that we receive from you, and we leave full and satisfied. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to stand today. I thought I'd try something different. No, kidding. <laughs> Sometimes we got to do that. I did that during the 5K where everybody else was running. I stood and waited for them to come by and cheered them on, so I'm pretty good at standing. Uh, this morning, we're going to begin an exciting journey in, in God's Word. Yeah, beginning today, we're going to dig into the book of 1 Peter. I mean, really dig into it, a verse-by-verse study where we will attempt to mine every ounce of its treasure, and if not every ounce, at least a bunch of it. I, I understand this book. The Bible is powerful, it's supernatural, it's life-changing and life-altering. There has never been another book like this book. No, no book compares to it. It's been a bestseller for centuries. No book has uh, been published in the more different languages. No book has been published as much as this book. No book has inspired more art, more poetry, more music, more good deeds, and more changed lives. And no book has been scrutinized, criticized, and attacked more than this book. Yet it's still and will continue to stand forever. And that's exactly how Peter puts it in this very letter. We're going to be studying. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, he says this, all men are like the grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. All men, and we see their glory all the time, right? We see their cribs, right? You know, I heard they think maybe in 30 years we may have our first trillionaire, right? You know, all men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, their glory will wither, and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. Hebrew writer says, for the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And in Paul's last letter, he wrote to Timothy, saying, every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful, one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way through the Word we are put together and shaped up for the task God has us to do. Maple Grove, this book that I'm holding in my hand, these words are God-breathed, they're living, they're active, and they cut through, uh, they penetrate through all the junk and all the barriers we put in our lives. Uh, uh, this book, these words, that they, it judges our thoughts and our attitudes of our heart. Uh, not only does this book show us what is wrong in our lives, the wrong way we're living, but it also shows us the right way we are to live. And, and these words can put our lives back together and shape us to do what God has called us to do. I love this book. I believe in this book. This book has changed my life, and it will continue to change my life. Yeah, over the next several weeks, I am going to metaphorically speaking, grab a Holy Spirit-inspired sack of seed and start chunking it all over this room. And listen, this God-breathed, living, active, standing forever seed is going to land on all kinds of soil, right? Some on hard soil. That won't, it won't even penetrate. Some will land on rocky soil where it's like, yeah, it, it takes root, but quickly dies away when the heat gets on. Others will fall on soil full of a bunch of weeds and stuff that just, it never even has a chance, right? So much stuff distracts us, it's choked out before we even have a chance to really take root in. But some will fall on good soil and produce a harvest 160, 30 times what was planted. Yet needless to say, I'm beginning to feel a little pumpified, all right? And that's a state of excitement as if the Patriots just won the Super Bowl, right? Whoa, that's what Pumpified is. Or your favorite team, excitement, euphoria. About the book of 1 Peter, though. And our message called Living Hope, a Sure Anchor in Troubled or Challenging Times. But before we really hit it, I need to take a brief commercial break. This Thursday and Friday, something extremely huge is happening at Maple Grove. Uh, on, on Thursday night and all day Friday, uh, Gary Johnson, uh, Gary was here back in November, and he walked us through and coached us through developing our vision, our mission, and our core values. He's coming back again, and he's coming back to help Maple Grove to have us develop our first ever three-year strategic plan. And, and during this, these two days, we're, we're going we're gonna to discover and we're going to set some goals some targets for the next three years. Totally huge. I mean, I, I mean, it couldn't get much huger than that, right? Where God wants to see us be in, in the year 2017. Crazy to say that when I was born in 1960 or 2018, all right? And, and, and our second core value says we depend on God, you know? And, and we prayed like crazy when we developed this, and, and we need prayer for this event as well. And, and uh, we depend on God. And I want to encourage you guys, uh, 6 o'clock tonight, if you can make it, we're going to be in the youth center, and we're going to pray. Nothing fancy. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. And, and because the last thing we want going into this meeting is 16, 17 leaders coming in in the flesh and leaving it in the flesh. You know, We're not that smart. 
God's a lot smarter. He's bigger than we are. He's smarter than we are. And we need help praying that, that, that God's vision for this church, that the goals we set are what he wants us to set. You also find on Facebook, we're going to send out an email where we did this sign up genie thing, sign up, sign up genius, where during the actual event, you can sign up for half hour prayer slots to pray, you know, that God's spirit just infuses this thing and that God moves us the direction that he wants to move us. This is, this is like, like the hugest, like hugest, huge, huge. Okay, now back to our regularly scheduled sermon. Maple Grove, 1 Peter is an amazing, inspiring, compelling, challenging, comforting, and practical book. I, I went through it a, a couple times this week, and I'm like, are you kidding me? There is so much stuff crammed into 1 Peter, amazing stuff, awesome stuff, life-changing stuff. It, 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 it may be some of the, the, the most jam-packed five chapters in all of Scripture. And each week, beginning today, each week, beginning today, awesome truths will be uncovered that will both enable us and empower us Okay, each week, beginning today, truths we uncovered that will enable us and empower us to live hope-filled, Christ-like lives, even in the midst of challenging times. All right, let's do this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, begins this way. Peter, and we'll stop right there. And I know some of you are getting worried. Wait a second. There's 2,482 words in First Peter. And if we stop at every single word, we could be here a long time, right? Well, maybe we will be here a long time. But again, what is the first word in this letter? It's Peter. And understand, in the first century, that's how they address letters. First, they would put the sender's name and then the recipient's name, which is the exact opposite of how we do it, right? You know, today, we usually put uh, the name of the person we're writing to, right? Dear John. We don't want those letters, right? How did John ever get hooked up with that, right? Why is it a dear Fred or something? But dear John. But the first century, letters always began with who the letter was from. And what I want to do this morning, as a way of introduction to this letter, I want us to talk about the from, the to, and the about. The from, the to, and the about of this 2,000-year-old letter. And by the way, all three of these things are found within the first three verses that we read earlier. Okay? Question. Who wrote First Peter? Who is it from? Anybody know? Anybody guess? Peter. Oh, good, good. All right. Phew. If you thought it was a trick question, it really wasn't. And, and, and listen, from matters, right? Who a letter is from matters. Because who a letter is from determines how we receive that letter and how we respond to that letter. You know, if you get a letter, you know, from matters. You know, if you get a letter from your boss, right? You, a letter in a few weeks from the IRS, Hey, thanks for following your tax returns. We'd like to have some coffee at Starbucks and talk about it with you, right? Okay? You know, uh, from the president, from your oncologist, right? From matters. From the love of your life. As a matter of fact, I go to the mailbox, and I start looking through things, and I start chunking things. Yeah? Oh, I don't care who that's from, who that's from, right? right? We just start throwing things away, right? You get my letters, right? You throw them away, right? From, from matters, Okay? From matters. But understand, Peter is so much more than a guy who, who wrote a book. See, Peter is a guy who has a knowledge about, in a relationship with, and access to Jesus Christ that is unprecedented 
in human history. He, he has a knowledge about, a relationship with, and access to Jesus that is unequaled in human history. Peter spent three years with Jesus. Three years with God in the flesh. Think about that. And he, he saw Jesus. He, he touched Jesus. On Easter Sunday, my, my eight-year-old son, Gentile, was sitting over there you know, listening you know, to the service. And, and he leaned over to his mom and he said this, I wish Jesus was alive today. I mean, like alive so I can touch him, right? And, you know, and guess what? John got to do that. He got to touch him. And if John ever had a spiritual question, a, a theological question, a life question, all he had to do was turn his head to one side or the other and say, hey, God, you know that story about this farmer chunking out seed? You totally lost me on that one. What were you trying to say? From matters. You see, Peter saw with his own eyes all the incredible stuff that Jesus did. Peter was there when Jesus opened blind eyes, when he healed lame limbs. He was there when Jesus cured deadly diseases and cast out powerful demons. Uh, Peter was there when, uh, when Jesus multiplied food, when he, uh, when he fed thousands of people, uh, when he turned water into wine, when he walked on water, when he healed his, when Jesus healed his mother-in-law, which is that's a nice thing for a guy to do, right? And he raised people from the dead. Props for Peter. I understand, Peter, he had a front row, center stage seat to all the miracles that Jesus performed when he wore flesh and walked this planet from matters. Uh, Peter was a senior leader in the Jesus group. He was in that inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, who got in on things that the other guys did not, to get, not, did not get to get in on. Like that mind-blowing event on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus transformed into all his glory right before the very eyes, Matthew puts it this way. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. No, not many people got to see that. I mean, or to hang out with Moses and Elijah. Raise your hand if you ever saw that or you hung out with Moses and Elijah. All right, okay. Me neither. From matters. Uh, Peter was an apostle, and a word that not only means one sent on a mission, but it means that one sent with the power and authority of the one who sent him. And in Peter's case, that would be the power and authority of the Lord of glory, the King of kings, God Almighty. From matters. Peter was there when Judas betrayed Jesus. He was there when Jesus was arrested, when he was crucified, and when he rose from the dead. Whenever the disciples are listed, whose name is always listed first? Peter. And, and, and Peter was chosen by God to be the spokesman the very first time the gospel was ever preached. You see in Matthew 16, Jesus told Peter that he would give him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter pulled out those keys and he preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And 3,000 people that day believed, repented, and were baptized. Yeah, Peter's so much more than a guy who wrote a book. And, and for some reason, you know, I've always, I don't know about you, I've always kind of related to Peter. And I don't know, maybe it's because he seems to screw up an awful lot. But every once in a while does something pretty stinking amazing. I mean, Peter was tough, he was strong, he was passionate. He did some amazing things, but every once in a while, just when you needed him the most, he fumbled the ball and right in the red zone. Pete, come on. 
And, and listen, when I think of Peter, so many snapshots just flood through my mind. Because from matters. I, I, I see Peter dropping his net by the Sea of Galilee and leaving everything, leaving his family, leaving his friends, leaving his career in order to follow Jesus. I, I, I see Peter in the middle of the night, a powerful storm pounding a small boat full of frightened fishermen, and I see one fisherman named Peter swing his legs over the side of the boat and get out and walk on water. And I see him taking his eyes off Jesus, as I do sometimes, and sinking underneath the crashing waves. I see Peter with confidence answering Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I see him moments later fumble the ball big time after Jesus talks about how he has to go to the cross. And Scripture says that Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Jesus, I do not want to hear any of this cross talk. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me what? Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. And again, I see him with confidence say that that week of Jesus' death, Jesus, even if everybody else leaves you, I won't. And I see him a few days later warming his hands by a fire and saying with a curse, I never knew the man. And then running off in the night, weeping bitterly over his failure. And I see him walking inside an empty tomb and, and seeing the burial clothes fold it neatly, wondering, worried, afraid that his denial had removed any chance of being with Jesus again from matters. And then I see Jesus meeting the risen Lord, falling at his feet and being forgiven. We don't know when it happened or where it happened. We just know that it did happen. And scripture tells us that Jesus met with Peter before he met with any of the other disciples. I see Peter in John chapter 21 when he figures out, hey, the dude on the beach cooking breakfast, you know, that's Jesus. I can't wait for the boat to get there. I swim faster, and he just jumps in the water and swims to the beach because Jesus is cooking breakfast. I see Peter no longer denying or hiding, but standing in front of thousands of people on the day of Pentecost telling them, hey, this guy that you killed, that was the Christ, the Messiah, God the Son, the risen Savior of the world. And I see Peter, not that long after that, standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're telling him, do not talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter says, sorry, I can't stop. I can't and I won't stop talking about Jesus. I see Peter in Rome grabbing a pen and writing out a letter to a bunch of believers 2,000 years ago that we're reading today. And finally, I see Peter as an old guy being led out to a cross, his hand stretched out, nailed, and crucified upside down for his love of both Christ and his bride, the church, from matters. Understand, that is the guy who nearly 2,000 years ago penned the words that we're going to read and study over the next several weeks. Question, do you think that this man who knew Jesus so well, who, who knew the church so well, and who loved both so much that, that, that he gave his life for them? Do you think that this guy who, who knew the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, do you think this guy who, as I said, had a knowledge about and a relationship with Jesus that was unequaled in human history, do you think he just might have something to say to us, to say to me, to say to you in the coming weeks? 
You bet he does. And those who have ears will hear. And we'll reap a harvest 160, 30 times what was planted. Okay, that's the from, from Peter. Now for the two of this 2,000-year-old letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who's he writing to? He, Peter's writing to God's people. He's writing to Christians, specifically Christians who were scattered due to hardship and persecution. And who are now living in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all of which are in modern-day what? Modern-day Turkey. And see, they would get this letter from Peter, and they would share it, and they all would read it from Peter to scattered, persecuted, beating down believers who were strangers, who were foreigners, who were exiles in this world. Why? Because their citizenship was in another place. Okay, that's from Peter to these believers and us, and now for the about. First of all, this letter is about, it's about God. Did you catch that? Peter talks about the Trinity in the second verse of this letter. He says, chosen, if you're taking, I have the scripture at the top, if you're taking notes, circle that, it's pretty cool. Chosen according to the full knowledge of God the Father, to the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkle of his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. You see, 1 Peter, like all 66 books of the Bible, is primarily about God. God is the main character, not us, right? It's about God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about God. And we totally mess the storyline up when we place ourselves as the main character. God is the main character. It's about God, about God the Father who chose you. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now think about that for a moment. Chosen, picked, selected by God. Some of us have never been picked for anything. Recess, nope. Class president, nope. Cool kid table at lunch, nope. Uh, Most likely to do anything? Nope. Employment opportunities and advancement? Nope. Yet we're chosen by the holy, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, always-existent, great, mighty, invisible, immortal, indescribable, uncontainable, good, merciful, gracious, creator of all that we see. We're chosen by the king of the universe. You have been, yeah, you have been chosen by God. Yeah, the God who spoke everything into existence picked you. And he picked you in the first round, right? You know, in God's draft board, we're all first rounders, right? We're all first rounders. God wants you on his team, so to speak. God wants you and I in his family so bad that he sent his son on a cross to die. If that doesn't blow you away that God chose you, try this one on for size. Not only did God choose you, but you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, or as the NLT puts it, God the Father knew you, and he chose you. 
In other words, God chose you even though he knows you. I've always loved those two words, even though. I think Paul really loved even though. He said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he said this. Even though, and here's Paul's story. You and I, we got our own even though, all right, don't we? And Paul says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, what? I was what? I was show mercy. You see, God knows you. God knows me. He knows us. He knows us inside and out. He knows our good. He knows our bad. He knows our ugly. He knows the stuff that we have hidden from everybody else. He knows absolutely everything. Our sins, our failures, our rebellion, our broken promises we've already broken, and the ones we'll break down the road. Yet he still chose us. God knew you, and he chose you. Point, God choosing us has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. Amen? This letter was written by Peter. It's about God. It's about God the Father who chose you, and it's about God the Son who died, who shed his blood, who gave his life, who paid our debt. Shed his blood, gave his life, and paid our debt so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to God. And that's good news, just not on Easter, right? So that we could have a new life, so that, so that God's grace and God's peace would be in us and all over us. I love what Peter says. Grace and peace be yours. Not just a little bit. Grace and peace be yours in what? In abundance. In abundance. First Peter is about God the Father and God the Son and about God the Spirit who is at this very moment at work in every Christ follower, speaking, prompting, convicting, breaking, molding, shaping, moving them to be more and more like Jesus. It's about God the Spirit, who is at this very moment as we sit in this room, if you're a Christ follower, at work in every Christ follower, speaking, prompting, convicting, breaking, molding, shaping, moving them to be more and more more like Jesus, helping them to live out the image of God that is within them, which Peter calls in her text the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You know, and sanctify and sanctification, that's kind of a churchy word, and here's my definition of sanctify or sanctifying. Being set apart, and empowered, two things, being set apart and empowered for a life within and like Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to set us apart and he wants to empower us for a life in Christ, a life with Christ, and for a life like Christ. Get it? Set apart and empowered for a life within and like Christ. Again, this letter from Peter is primarily about the Father who chose us, the Son who died for us, and the Spirit who is at work within us. From Peter to God's people, it's about God, but it's also about God's people. People God knows, people God chose, people God loves, people God died for, and people God is working within. People who, though saved, still were living 
in a world that was not their home, a world of trouble and hardship and challenging times, people who needed to know how to live God's way. If they were saved, how do I live this new life while still living in the same old world? Uh, understand the church in the first century, the men and women who, who first held this, this letter in their hands, they needed to hear some good news. They needed some living hope. Uh, they needed to be reminded of some old and awesome truth, truths that they maybe had forgotten underneath the weight of their circumstances. Has that ever happened to you? Under the weight of your circumstances and the burden and the trouble you're in, there's some stuff that you forgot. A truth that can give us a living hope. You see, the place that these believers found themselves in was a very tough place to come to and grow in the faith. The very moment that these people chose Jesus, who got this letter, they set themselves up against the culture of that day. A culture that said, Caesar is Lord. We live for him. We serve him. We give our lives for his glory. We celebrate his rule and dominion. And therefore, choosing Christ and saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is Lord. We live for him. We serve him. We give our lives for his glory. And we celebrate Jesus' rule and dominion. More often than not, it meant that they lost their families. Their friends turned away from them. Their careers ended or were severely hampered. Their social standing plummeted, and the, their lives and the lives of those they love were in serious, real danger. When Peter wrote these words, you know, the persecution of Christians under Nero was really starting to heat up. Now, I mean, there's no doubt that many people who heard these words the first time had already suffered and lost much just for following Jesus. At least 15 times in this letter, Peter referred to suffering, and he used eight different Greek words to get his point across. A, a lady who lost her husband, he was burned at the stake, read these words. A, a family whose home was burned down, children who were now orphans, a father who lost his job, a young man whose family had disowned him and threatened him, read these words. Your things were tough, and they're about to get even tougher. Before long, Christians would be thrown into the, the Colosseum and torn apart by wild animals, or they would be dipped in tar, tied to a post, lit on fire to illuminate the Roman sky. Question, do you think these believers were a little bit discouraged? you think that things were starting to wear them down and wear them out? Do you think they could use some good news, some living hope? Absolutely. Question, did discouragement, did hard times, did attacks from our enemy, did they end in the first century? I wish they did, but they didn't. Do believers still get discouraged today and lose their hope in the midst of challenging times? Yeah, we do. To be honest, in sixth sense, kids saw, I see what? I see dead people. <laughs> right? It was a good movie. Especially the first time, like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I didn't even know. Okay. I didn't spoil it. I just said it's good. But I don't see dead people. I see discouraged people. 
I see single moms discouraged because they're worn out from doing it all by themselves. I see single people discouraged because they think they'll always be alone. I, I see people discouraged because their marriage just is not going so good right now. I, I, I see people discouraged because they have family problems with anger and abuse and addictions. I, I see people discouraged because of health issues and financial issues and employment issues. I, I see people discouraged because they stood up for the truth and got burned for it. I, I see people discouraged because they, they ha- have a vision from God uh, for who God wants, of who God wants them to be and, and what God wants them to do, but things and junk and stuff seems to be getting in the way. I, I see discouraged people because they keep falling into the trap of that old, familiar sin. I mean, they thought by now they'd be so much further along in their walk. Yeah, I, I see discouraged people. And sometimes all I got to do is look in a stinking mirror <laughs> to find one. Are you discouraged today? You need some good news? I mean, is your hope in ICU and on life support just barely hanging on? If so, God has some great news for you. In fact, it's awesome news. It's news that is intended to infuse living hope into our lives. Check out verse 3. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, thank God, praise God, praise God, thank Him. You know, for what? You know, sometimes... I think we need, we, get, we thank God sometimes for lesser things more than for the bigger things. Here's an example. Like, I love McDonald's 50-cent ice cream cones, man. They like, that's incredible. Family of four, two bucks and change, man. You got four ice cream cones and you're, everybody's happy, right? You know, and, and just yesterday I went to Walgreens, 75% off, and I got a little milk carton of Easter egg gumballs, right? You know, Hubba Bubba, you know, awesome stuff. I ate a whole one yesterday myself before I gave it to them. But anyhow, you know, I give it to my kids. And you can do stuff like it for your kids. And they go, oh, you are like, you get, you're like the greatest dad in the world. You gave me gum. And you're like, well, you could thank me like for paying the mortgage, you know. And, <laughs> you know, like I fed you. And, you know, and, and sometimes we're like, oh, thank you, God, that, you know, I got that parking spot in the rain. And thank you, God, that she said yes. And thank you, God, that I got the promotion. And I'm not saying we don't thank God for those things, but, man, there's something bigger to thank God for. He didn't just pay our mortgage. Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank him. Praise him. Why? Because in his great mercy, he's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter's reminding them and us that when we came to God we were given new birth. We were born again. In other words, God gave us a fresh start. God gave us a new beginning. He gave us a do-over. He gave us a clean slate. He grabbed the old etch-a-sketch, right? He just shook that sucker till nothing was on there anymore. And who couldn't use one of them, right? I mean, I need one about every single day. Years ago, I had a, a thing around my license tag that, that said, God allows U-turns. And, you know, maybe God brought you here this morning so that you could do just that. That you could hit that blinker, grab that steering wheel, and turn your life around 
Turn your life around back to him. Turn your life around back to the person that he has called you to be. God allows U-turns. Have you ever been painted in a room and got halfway through and you're thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> I didn't think it was going to look like that. When I was in Florida, we painted a whole church outside like that. It was terrible. It looked so good when we were planning it, and it looked like baby poop green. And I spent a year and a half trying to convince myself I really liked it when I didn't. That really looks good. Oh, my gosh. And the whole building, 30 people. We did a great job in one day. Uh, kidding me? It's even worse than painting your whole church an ugly color. It's pretty bad. To be passionately painting a life, they really be going at it. You bought the sprayer and everything, right? And to step back and go, man, this ain't what I thought it'd be. I really made a mess of things. That's not the right color. That's not what it looked like in the store. And if that's where you find yourself today, I have great news. God, the king of glory, God, uh, the Lord and creator of the universe is dying to, in fact, already died to, in order to give you and I an opportunity to start over, an opportunity to begin repainting our life, an opportunity uh, to, to, go, to go to his divine color charts and say, this is the exact color of the life you were created to live. And you'll step back and go, that is what I'm talking about. In his great mercy, he's giving us new birth. It gets even better. He's giving us new birth into a living hope. Again, how are you doing with the hope thing this morning? And when you woke up, were you more hopeful or hopeless about your life? Again, is your, is your hope hooked up to all kinds of tubes laying in a bed in ICU this morning on life support? And, and my hunch is that from my own personal experience that there are one or two people out there this morning who, who may not be doing so good with that hope thing right now. And nine out of ten times, the reason is because, you know, we have placed our hope not in something that was living, but in something that was dying. And listen, anything we put our hope in other than God is ultimately a dying hope. And what are some things we can put our hope in that are wrong? We can put our hope in our money, right? We can put our hope in, in our career, in that promotion. We can put our hope in stuff. We can put our hope in our retirement. Uh, we, we can put our hope in our good looks. I gave that one up years ago, right? I mean, we can put our hope in a lot of things that can't hold us. Check this out in Job. Job 8, 11 through 15. God's word. Can papyrus reeds grow where there's no marsh? Can bulrushes flourish where there's no water? No. While they are still flowering, not ready to be cut, they begin to wither. Such is the fate of all who forget God. The hope of the godless comes to nothing. Everything they count on will collapse. They are leaning on a spider's web. Try that this week. See how it works for you. Right? I mean, you're, you're down, right? It's not going to work. They cling to their home for security, but it won't last. They try to hold fast, but it will not endure. You know, over the years, I, I, I've seen my hope and the hope of many believers collapse. 
Why? Because I was leaning on a spider's web. I, I, I was looking for hope and security in all the wrong things. And anything I'm looking for hope and security in other than God is the wrong thing. It's a dying hope. Have you ever done that? You ever put your hope in the wrong thing or person? Are you now, even now, trying to lean on a spider's web? Thinking that money, that relationship, that whatever is going to hold you up, it won't. Check out what the psalmist asked himself when he was extremely bummed out. I love this one because I talk to myself all the time and I answer myself and here's scriptural proof that it's a good thing to do, all right? And, and I talk out loud to myself and people hear me, they think I'm crazy, all right? Um, here's what he says. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Like, man, why am I so bummed out? Why am I depressed? Why am I down? Why am I here? What's going on? Why am I losing hope? Why am I discouraged? And then he answers this question like I do at times, right? He goes, oh, put your hope in God. For I'll yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Maple Grove, our God is not a spider web. You can lean on him. Listen, I, I stand here in the authority of God's word when I say hope in him. I stand on the authority of God's word to say that hope in him can and will hold you. That hope in him is a living hope. A few more passages about putting hope in God as we wrap up here. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Ne will never be disappointed. In, in reality, most of our hope is nothing more than wishful thinking, right? I hope the economy turns around. I hope I get that raise. I hope my 401 builds up the way I want it to build up. I hope we can turn this thing around. We're thinking, maybe, maybe not. No one whose hope is in you, Lord, will be put to shame or be disappointed. Isaiah 40, 31. You know this, right? Even youths, even youths. <laughs> hey, youths. Even youths grow tired and weary. You tired and weary? And young men stumble and fall. And if young men and youths are in trouble, our, us old folks, man, we're on the ground already. <laughs> but those who hope in the Lord will. Those who hope in the Lord will. Either scripture true or it's not, right? It's kind of like an instant thing. I mean, we can be leaning on a spider's web, putting our hope in the wrong thing, and go, oh, put your hope in God, and instantly, I'm serious, instantly, it's like those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. We've been giving a new birth into a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Amen? And you know what? I'm convinced that as Peter wrote about a living hope, and the resurrection, that his mind and heart went back to the time when he fumbled the ball on the goal line. 
I mean, Peter was as discouraged as anyone could get. He had no hope. I mean, as far as he was concerned at that moment, it was done. It was over. Not only was his master, his teacher, and friend dead, but he had denied him. He had failed miserably. But then came the run to the empty tomb, the reunion with Christ, and restoration. Talk about a new birth. Talk about a living hope. Talk about renewing his strength. And listen, that new birth, that second chance had that new birth, that second chance had nothing, that new birth, that second chance had nothing to do with Peter's goodness and everything to do with the great mercy of the living God. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. Get it? Good. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and, and I want to, we're going to wrap up with a, a few statements of truth, you know, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that are intended to infuse us with hope with a living hope. And would you all stand? And I totally botched it up first service, so we got two, right? And what we're going to do here, all right, I'm going to ask the question, right? And I'm going to ask it three times, but I'm going to ask it once, you give me the answer. I ask it again, you give me the answer. I ask it again, you give me the answer. And what gives these things power? It's not that, oh, wow, it's cool. You know, he's going to get us, well, let's rah-rah, let's cheerlead in church. He's getting us far. That's not, that's not my point. This is true. What you're about to say is true. You guys ready? ready. Okay. We do this three times, right? And, and what, what's that after your line? My, I have the question mark line, right? You got the other one. What comes at the end of yours? Exclamation. Right. That's like, like, what does that mean? Like, you go like, right, you don't go, God's chosen people, right? That, that doesn't cut it, right? All right. All right. And, and listen, I, I'm so serious here. You know, I, I know how hard it can be, right? Life is hard. And the enemy's stealing your hope right now. What we're saying right here is true. And when you say it, man, I just pray the Holy Spirit just lets it take deep root in you. Who are you? God's chosen people. Who are you? God's chosen people. Who are you? God's chosen people. Who chose you? God chose me. Who chose you? God chose me. Who chose you? God chose me. Who died for you? Who died for you? God died for me. Who died for you? God died for me. Who lives in you and is working in you? God lives in you. Who lives in you and is working in you? Who wants you despite your sin and rebellion? God me. Who wants you despite your sin and rebellion? God me. Who wants you despite your sin and rebellion? Where will you put your hope? Where will you put your hope? Where will you put your hope? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. It's true. You chose us. You're in us. You died for us. You want us. And we can put our hope in you and it comes alive. Infuse us right now with the living hope that only comes from you, not with rah-rah and cheering 
but the power of your living and active God-breathed word. Jesus, where will we be without you? The good thing is we never have to answer that question. Spirit, move as we sing. May we claim our destiny and our hope that is in you as we do this. In Jesus' name, amen.